Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Jamie, and I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And I just want to, again, say a welcome to anybody that's visiting with us. We're glad that you're here. Welcome back to uh, people who have been overseas and uh, serving in other countries. That would be Miss Christy Martin for sure today. So y'all say hi to Christy. Um, Okay, Uh, if you would, open your Bibles up to, or your electronic devices, however you're reading God's Word these days. Might be just a touch bright up here anyway. Okay, James chapter 1 verses 19 through 27. Let's read God's Word together. Lord, I ask that you'd bless the reading of your Word. Change our hearts, our minds, our lives, our attitudes. Increase our faith and conform us to the image of Jesus. Lord, even as we stand under your word, changed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the Word. Amen. That is the Word of God. And may our lives be blessed by it. Amen. Okay. Well, we are in uh, part number three. I had to check that there. And uh, part number three of this series on the book of James that I'm calling Peace Under Pressure. And I'm calling this message response time. And if you know anything about getting stressed or getting in a stressful situation or experiencing some not peace, whatever that is, that's a lot of stuff, right? Could be anger, could be anxiety, could be stress, could be they're irritating me right now, all those things. If you've experienced that, then you know that there's something called response time that's important, that's really going to help you out, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In business, response time is the time between when somebody makes an order and then that order is fulfilled. That could take a long time depending on the product. I go across the street over here to Starbucks and I order at the, at the what do you call a little deal there? drive through deal. And uh, we're getting technical, just uh, everybody. And so I order at the deal and uh, that's even more technical. <laughs> Took off the drive through the scripting part of it. Um, I order at the little speaker thing. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I order. Just move on, right? <laughs> I order, and the response time for Starbucks is the time between that when that order is placed and I get up to the window. And if you've noticed, I don't... Is Bo here today? We've got one of the managers over there, and uh, he's probably working. And... Uh, but the response time, they even have little, you've noticed little monitors, and it keeps a timer from when the order's made to when somebody gets their coffee. And that's part of their, 
service is that that thing's going to get there in a pretty quick time amount of time. Uh, Wendy's has the same thing. McDonald's, it's a response time that's there. At the power company, they have a response time from when an order is placed. Hey, the power's out to when it happens. This past Monday, we placed an order at about 12.30. Our power was out. And at about 7.30, 7.40, our power came back on. After all the fire alarms had gone off, I'd put them up and down a couple times. Our dog's hunkering. She thinks it's all her fault. You know, just, she's got issues, you know. I did something wrong. That was not a quick response time in my book without, without power, you know. Uh, let's see, what else? In sports, sports, the response time can often be really quick, right? So in soccer, a guy kicks the ball, and the response time is the time when the foot kicks the ball to when the goalie has to react to that thing and try to make a save, right? And there's lots of examples like that. Baseball would be when the, after the ball leaves the pitcher's hand and the batter has to react to drive it to right field or to pull it, you know, whatever. And uh, each Sunday here at Christ Fellowship, we have a response time. That's when the, the word of the Lord hopefully touches some part of your heart, or your life, or your mind, your attitude, something. And we want to respond to that in some way. We want to be changed by the word of God, right? And so we have ministry uh, folks that come up here and we can get prayer. Or we can get prayer in our seats. That's just a response time. Now, in relationships, it gets a little more sticky than that, doesn't it? You know, your response time in a relationship is like, oftentimes, I'm not responding at all. Somebody says something to me, and I'm like, Rah, I'm, I'm, I'm reacting. It's not even really a response time. In fact, they're talking, and while they're talking, there's not even a response going, because I'm figuring out my response while he's even talking. Am I the only one that does that? In the spirit, when we're walking with Jesus, we don't, you know, it's different than that. We're not just uh, reacting all the time. And so that's why this thing is so important to talk about peace under pressure. If I'm going to experience peace in my relationships, I've got to figure out this thing about response time, right? So last week we finished with James 1.18, which says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. And so... What that verse does, this section that we're looking at now, is kind of an unpacking of that, that verse that we finished with last time. So he, he gave us birth by the word of truth in us. Now the word of truth in us isn't like, depending on what our background is, we might go, word of truth, that's like the scriptures. Okay? He didn't give us new birth by putting the scriptures in us. He gave us new birth by putting the word in us. The living word. Jesus Christ comes and lives in us by His Spirit. He is the Word of Truth. Now, the, the Scriptures point to Him and illuminate Him and magnify Him. This whole thing is about Him. But He is the Word of Truth that just as He walked as a man living completely in dependence upon God, He showed us what this life was supposed to look like and now that life is being birthed in us. And the Christian life is really... A journey, it's stumbling sometimes, it's getting back up, but it's a journey of letting this life be birthed in us. And it is a contrast to the other thing that we talked about last week, which was the, the life of uh, evil desires giving birth to sin, sin giving birth to death. So that's one, one path, 
And this is a completely different path where the life of Jesus is being birthed in us and it's changing us, transforming our minds, transforming our hearts, our words, our actions, the way we think. It transforms us. It's awesome and it's good news, but there's a process involved. And, you know, the cool thing is, if you get this about Jesus has done this with humanity, then it takes the pressure, it's the grace of God. And nobody could ever do what only Jesus can do. But he does get us to partner with him. Not like in earning something, but in living this life out together with him. Being like little expressions of Christ that are becoming more and more like him. Does that make sense? So that's where this is going. And kind of a key thing here is, therefore, verse 21, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word. This is how we work this out. I receive the word in me, and I'm realizing all along, this thing is just bringing me more and more life. This is the way to live. This is the best way to live. Anybody ever tried living not this way? Come on, I, I know there's more than six of you guys. You know, you try living this other way, and it's just like death, man. And so then with Jesus... It's life to life to life to life to life. And it's the best, it's, the, it's just the best way to live. So here's the deal today. The main thing, sermon in a sentence, one little sound bite is this. We grow to maturity and God's best for our lives when we humbly respond to his word that's planted in us. And that means that he is initiating all the time. God's initiating with us all the time. He's just, he's constantly speaking things to us tenderizing our hearts, if we'll listen, if we'll turn to him, if we'll give him a little bit of space. He's speaking all the time. And so sometimes when we listen to the Lord, it means waiting. And sometimes it means doing. Sometimes it means not saying anything at all. And sometimes it means being bold and saying something. And there's not, it's not, I can't just go, here's the verse for that, now go do it. It's his life in us. It's there's, you've heard the phrase gray areas. Well, it's not like that. It's not like there's just, it's black, white, and I'm just kind of in the gray area. The Lord leads us through life. He leads us in a way that really does lead to freedom and all of that. Sometimes there's times to be slow, other times to get rid of something now. All that. Some, time to do nothing, time to do something. All of that. So response time. Let's look at this. A couple points here. Response time is the space the space where we listen, okay, the space, everybody tracking with me, so I'll make sure I'm making sense, I always have to think, is this one of those quiet sermons, or because everybody's thinking, or, you know, all that, so the space where we listen, my brothers, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become anger, angry, because anger Man's anger doesn't do what God's wanting to do. It doesn't bring about the righteous life that God's wanting to do in our lives. And so get rid of the moral filth, the evil that's prevalent. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious but doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. His religion's worthless. Religion that God's looking for is, and pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
Now, one of the things we saw last week, and I, we just emphasize this here at Christ Fellowship all the time, is that God is good. God is good. He's not good some of the time, and he's got this mean streak over here some of the time. God is good, and, and, and what comes from him is good. He, he is the father of lights, and every good thing comes from him. That's what comes from him. He's good. God is good. And the Father expresses goodness to us. Now, the way this kind of gets worked out in our lives is that because of our fallenness, it's like Jamie, or anybody, fill your name in the blank, we can be like a doorway for heaven breaking in on, into the earth. And just the reign of God breaking in, the love of God, the beauty of God, the creativity of God, the the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, all those things. You know, we can be that. Or we can be like a door for hell where selfishness, greed, lust, you know, just gossipy pride just breaking into the world, just the doors of hell being opened up. You all know what I'm talking about. It's like we can be a river of living water that just brings life to people all around us. An encouragement, love, peace, grace. Or we can be a river of toxic waste that just kind of flows out. And it's part of, it's part of what we have to deal with as, it just as people that are fallen. Because we hear the enemy's voice and we hear, I'm not acceptable, I'm not good enough, I'm not loved, uh, you know, I don't make enough, I don't have enough whatever education, I don't have enough of this or that. And all that gets translated into this stuff that makes me trying to grasp and it's the mean side of me, you know, where it's the self-focused side of me. And that stuff starts pouring out into relationships and it's toxic. It really is. It's a toxic kind of combination. The, the output is self-centered, it's self-protecting, it's unaccepting of others, it's critical frantic, nervous, anxious, driven, depressed, hypersensitive, moody, hesitant. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know? And it comes out in words sometimes. It comes out in attitudes. It comes out in actions. It comes out in looks. You know, just, you're not pleasing me. You're not pleasing me. You're not doing it the way I would do it. You know, and all that kind of, just that community, that vibe that's just flowing out of us. And so... The word of truth births in us a river of living water that flows life and love and peace and grace. And then mixing with that, he says, be slow to, be, be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry. So our anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. Instead, it just gets the wrong, if I get angry and I'm anxious it gets the wrong river flowing out of my life. You ever just gotten angry in the middle of a conversation? You know, and you're, you, you, you know what I'm talking about? I'll just describe it. It's like you're at a two or a three on the RPMs here, and then all of a sudden you sense the tachometer rising up, rising up, and all of a sudden you're at a five or six, and you kind of know on the inside, you know, I'm getting a little worked up here. I'm just being autobiographical, and nobody gets what I'm talking about. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm up near the red line. And I can kind of see it coming, but all of a sudden, I'm up at the red line, and I'm, you know, and so, and then I lose my temper, 
This is all just hypothetical. <laughs> I lose my temper. And how many of you ever walk away from a deal like that and go, that was awesome? Man, just <laughs> nailed it right there. Just nothing like a little manipulation the way I just kind of forced them down into what I wanted to do. That was just that was great. Feeling like in the spirit right now. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. It just, man, that really opened up communication. That's going to, and I, let's see, I've got to go back and see. I don't remember a big one this week, but I do remember a, a big one last week. It was in our, our staff time. And then I had to apologize to the staff, had to apologize to, it wasn't like this, everybody's like, oh, he's scary. No, it was just, I just got a little sideways and I could feel it happening and I did it. And then I just, 20 minutes later, you know, conviction, you know, hey, y'all, sorry, that was, that was rude, I'm sorry, you know, and then apologize multiple times to the person, you know, so that's what it's like in the real world, right, that's how, how, how it works out, so slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen, that's the space where we listen, you know, um, I've illustrated it like this a lot, but I, I want us to keep, the more we walk with Jesus and the more we grow toward maturity, the idea is to practice His presence so that we get sensitive to what it's like to live with Him. With our eyes on Jesus, the moment we take our eyes off of Him, we get more sensitive to it. So that when temptation comes or a temptation even to become angry, we're walking through this little window that we're calling the response time, right? And I can choose in that window to fire back and react, or I can choose to go low, take a deep breath, Lord, what are you saying right now? How do I respond right now? And, you know, there's just, there's so many things at work in us because of, you know, our brokenness, you know, the desire to be right, be perceived right, be perceived as not being caught off guard, or all the things that would happen in our minds as we work through this stuff. So he goes on there. He says, therefore, get rid of the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent humbly and accept the word of God, which can save you. And even down at the, again at the bottom, he says, and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, so you've got, there's definitely stuff that we need to, there's something that doesn't belong in your life and you know it doesn't belong in your life. Hey, can I just encourage you? Run from it. Don't just, don't, don't flirt with it. You know, don't, don't coddle it. You know, I, uh, I haven't told this story. I'm going to just go for it um, uh, in a while. And uh, there were these two girls, and uh, they lived in uh, San Diego and went across the border into Tijuana for a little weekend deal. And uh, they, came, they found a cute little, they thought it was a chihuahua, looking maybe a crossbreed or something. And they, it was just snivelly and... You know, it needed the attention, and so they snuck it back across the border. I don't know that you could do that anymore. But they snuck it across the border, and they got and they loved this thing. I mean, just cute little, you know, chihuahua. And, uh, but then it started getting more sick, sniveling, uh, you know, and coughing and stuff like that. And they took it to the vet, and the vet said, where did you get this? They said, oh, it's just our dog. It's, it's okay. Can, it's, can you get him better? No, where did you get this? And they said, we got it in Tijuana, and... And, and the doctor said, this is a Mexican sewer rat, and it's rabid. And they've been like sleeping with it, coddling it, <laughs> petting this nasty, rabid, gigonormagus rat. 
Okay, so my, my, my point here, reeling it back in, everybody's reeling it back in, is, you know, don't coddle stuff that's nasty. There's a, there's a, I haven't told that story in a while. There's a bunch of you guys that you'll see me from time to time going, what is he doing when he does that? <laughs> now you know. Now you know. Don't, don't, and, and so get rid of the stuff that, needs to get rid of, that we need to get rid of in our lives. But here's something else I want us to see. A lot of times, you know, our idea of evil isn't necessarily God's idea of evil. Okay, there's, a, there's, a, there's, another, there's another side to this thing. And that's because when we put ourselves on the throne and we say we're going to be the ones to decide what's good and evil, even with the bad stuff, we can miss it. Jesus comes into the world and he flips everything upside down. He does all kinds of stuff that tick people off and they said it was straight up evil. They called the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, evil, the devil. Isn't that crazy? You know, and so, and we still, we still do this, you know, with God. We can do it when we say that God can't have anything to do with sin. We define holiness in a way that says God can't have anything to do with sin. Wait a minute, time out, time out. That, need, that maybe needs to be rethought. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes in flesh and touches sinners. He eats with sinners. He loves sinners. <laughs> Affirmation. He loves, man, he loves, and so just, and, and again, it's don't chunk holiness. Holiness is the, oh man, it's this absolute otherness, this, this altogether wonderfulness that can't even be fathomed, but it has a lot more to do with love than not touching us. This overflowing triune love of God and it's, that's so other and absolutely wonderful you know, the, the angelic beings aren't crying holy, holy, holy because they can't have anything to do with sin. They're saying He's absolutely beautiful. He's absolutely wonderful. His love is unfathomable. And it pours out in creation, pours out to us. I know you need me to say some more about Jesus because I want just think about this. You know, He touches sinners. You know, and it, it, there's something in us that we get ideas in our head about what's right and wrong, and it doesn't always line up with Jesus. It's just the craziest thing. You know, Jesus, this holy man, is there at, at, a, at a dinner, and this sinful woman comes in and starts crying over his feet, you know, and wiping his feet with her hair. You know, and we go, you know, there's a disgust thing that rises up. I, uh, uh, I mentioned my friend in Abilene last week. I mentioned him again today. He wrote another book called Unclean. And uh, he's in charge of, he's the chair of psychology out there, and so, uh, Dr. Beck, and so uh, one of the things he points out is we have this, he calls it disgust psychology, you know, and he's making this point about how Jesus doesn't always do things like we do. Disgust would be like, it's fine for me to swallow my own saliva, but it's not okay for me to swallow yours. That's disgusting. <laughs> By tracking. There's things that are disgusting like that, okay? And so, so, so Jesus comes and he heals on the Sabbath. And the leaders, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, Pharisees, all that, they say, that's wrong. We know God would not do that. 
That's disgusting to us. Eating with sinners, disgusting to us. There's all these things, disgust kind of ideas. Uh, just even speaking with the blind man in John 9, you know, the Pharisees say, you're a sinner, a sinner from birth. We know this man's not from God. Now give glory to God. And he goes, look, he put mud on my eyes. I don't know what happened. Nobody's ever heard of a man being born blind and being able to see. And that, here I am. You know, and you can be disgusted with that. You can be upset about that. Here's another one. Uh, Jesus made one time, his first miracle, was to make 120 to 180 gallons of wine at a wedding feast. Okay, six jars, 20 to 30 gallons apiece, so that's 120 to 180. I don't know how many gallons it takes to a bottle of wine to make a gallon. Is it ma any math, people? It's a lot of bottles of wine. Is what I'm, it's a gob of a bottle, bottles of wine. So depending on what part of the world you're from, this could be a disgusting thing. Uh, Kim was recently talking with somebody, and they said, well, you know, that wine, you know, back then, they, the grapes didn't ferment like they do now. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Yancey, we, he and I were talking the other day, and he said, you know, in India, it's so, wine is so disgusting to people that they will not translate the Bible that way. They refuse to translate wine as wine. It can only be translated grape juice. Yancey, Bible scholar, explains it. He goes, and they say, I know, we understand what you're saying. It needs to be grape juice. There's a disgust thing working there that's different than Jesus' than Jesus' idea, right? Everybody tracking there? So it's the space where we where we listen is is uh, that Lord. This, on the surface, might appear disgusting to me to reach out and touch this person. But in the space where we listen, we might be able to hear the Lord say, go love them. Go hug them. Go sit with them. Go invite them to dinner. You know, uh, Tim Hewitt was telling me recently, one of the most powerful, on their trip to India a couple years ago, they went to a, uh, a place where there were lepers and orphans, and it was just some, one of the most life-changing things in the world for them to sit with lepers and, like, touch cheeks. And just, they felt like it was just a thin place. And heaven was just breaking in right there as they were touching and loving these people. That would be, maybe in some people's minds, wrong. You know, wrong thing, a disgusting thing to do that, right? Okay? So response time is that it's just learning the skill of listening, listening and being quick to listen, slow to speak, and making sure that what we're saying no to is the right thing to say no to, what we're saying yes to is the right thing to say yes to. Everybody good? Okay, number two, second thing, response time, the space where we listen, and it's also the space where we obey. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says if anyone listens to the word but does not do what it says, he's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and, give, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. So here's the action part. And uh, so we can stumble right here. Depending on what your background is, you can stumble. When we start saying there's stuff to do, you go, oh, that freaks me out. I don't want to be a legalist. 
You know, I don't want you to be a legalist. Don't. The key is, well, how did this whole thing get started? The word of truth has been planted in us, and we're growing up to become like the first fruits of new creation, of heaven breaking into the earth. He's just reforming, recreating, restoring the whole deal through what he's birthed in us. And it's awesome. Man, it's good news. And so don't confuse the work, the work that only God can do with the response that we do in living our lives and growing. It's part of how he has us growing up. It's part of the growing up process. You know, I think we could have grown up faster if we didn't sin back there originally. You know, but here we are. And Jesus has reformed the whole deal, got it, got it going again, puts his life in us. You know, and so now he's growing us up. And the mirror then is in the ancient world, uh, there weren't a lot of mirrors. Okay, so getting to see yourself, whoa, you know, that wasn't real common. Now, you know, everywhere you walk, you know, it just there's mirrors everywhere. Maybe even in your house, you know, we've got that little armoire thing, you know, and it's got a mirror on the way out. I kind of kind of like that, you know. In another life. <laughs> but there's all these, all these mirrors. And so the question then for us is, are we going to forget? No more than we would forget what we look like would we forget to obey when God speaks to us and be responsive in our obedience to him. Here's the deal. I call this being on one side and doing on the other. And we, how many of you guys gravitate to one side or the other on that? You got some beers. Some of you guys are like beers, like, whoa, just deep in the presence of God, just contemplative, mystical kind of people that just, just kind of float around. And then, <laughs> then there's the doers. Man, don't tell me to go have a quiet time and read the Word. And I want to do something. I want to I make a difference for God. And you know what? It takes both of this happening in each and all of us for this thing to be what we're supposed to be in the Lord. It's, it's a be and do. And uh, so here's what happens. The tension is for the beers to be immobilized. And the tension is for the doers to like two-stroke motor oil that has too much gas in it to just... and just burn out, you know? And so it's, it's both. And uh, depending, again, on what's happened in your past, again, if you... Maybe you were around some controlling people or parents or church scenario or just different kinds of things where you would react. And, and even in our brokenness, we, we react against what God's wanting to happen in our lives. It's going to be good. Remember, He's good. He's good. And everything He's calling us to do is good. He's leading us into life. He's leading us into love and peace and joy, patience, those kinds of things. And uh, I know this, this can be sometimes hard to talk about because it's, it's bondage if you don't see it. It's bondage to like go, you know, you can't talk to me about doing because of all this stuff that happened in my past. That's bondage. It's, it's, it's a bondage in our lives. And so it's hard for me to, even as a pastor, as a leader, as a preacher, to talk about this just in the context of church. So I'm going to talk about it in the context of marriage. Maybe it will be easier to understand what I'm talking about. Let's say that 
um, the house needs to be cleaned, but, and I know that she wants me to clean it, or she knows that I want her to clean it, or whatever, but she's not going to do it because she knows that's what I want her to do. That's weird. But it happens, right? Or the yard needs to be mowed, right? And, and I know I need to mow it, but there's something going on between us, or I've got some issue as to why I'm not going to mow the yard. Now, again, I'll just be real practical. Let's say like the cabinets are left open. <laughs> like a lot of them. And I've gone on my way. It's a, it's a stated issue. And uh, it's a known issue, an uh, unresolved issue. It's like, a, it's like an operating system bug, you know. And uh, so uh, I hear, Jamie, Jamie, uh, can you come in here? And I walk around the corner, and oh my goodness, there's like five cabinets open in the kitchen. I was like, how did that, what, what happened? Now my heart is, though, to submit. And it's not to, you know, <laughs> that, is, that is not what's going on. It's like, I want to do the right thing. I want to please her. I, I, I love her. I'm in a love relationship with her. And that's the way it is with God. God only wants good for us. He only wants blessing for us. And uh, if I'm worrying about who's controlling whom, you know, I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss the will of God, the grace of God. I'm going to miss what God wants for my life. And the way to do that, he says, is to look into the perfect law which gives freedom. The perfect law which gives freedom. Now I'll give you a couple handles on the perfect law, but let's say that's either. Jesus or what Jesus is calling us to? One of those two things, love. And both of those things, the perfect law, which is Jesus sums the whole thing up, sums up the law, you know, and it's in him is life and love and freedom, and it's not a bummer, you know, and even when I start looking at other people that way, it only leads to blessing. Mother Teresa, pretty famous, Mother Teresa said that she looked at each person that she could, as much as she could, she tried to, as often as she could, to look at somebody as though they were Jesus. You know, and that's not bondage. You know, that, there's freedom there. To love people, to serve people, to care for people, to show mercy and not judgment for them. Jesus sums it up and says, this is the most important thing of all. We're going to talk about it next week. Love your neighbor. This is it. This sums up the whole deal. So look to Jesus and look at what Jesus calls us to, this law that brings freedom. And uh, hey, real quick, can you imagine what life... We say law, and we, we don't always think freedom. We think constricted. But can you imagine, let's say there's no, there's no more traffic laws in Fort Worth. Okay, so Trail Lake out here at the, at the, at the interstate, that would be... That would be challenging. You know, be like, I'd be driving up with Kim going, okay, honey, here we go. <laughs> you know, and just like, you got a mono or a mono up, and, you know, you know, and it'd be crazy. But that's like the kind of law that we're talking about here that brings not chaos, but order and blessing, peace to our lives, peace. I, I think that there's something... I don't know how to express all this, but there, I think there's something here about authority in our lives. Again, as fallen people, you know, 
it's not always in us to go, I love authority. <laughs> Our culture as Americans isn't to go, I love authority. It's to go, we're not paying your taxes anymore. We're going to be free. It's to not trust people. It's to, it's to not honor authority. But God's a different kind of authority. God's an authority that's only love. He's defined as, as love. And if you're unclear about that, look to Jesus. Jesus is God on display. Love, goodness, life. You know, uh, so it, it, trusting Him and rather than trusting myself about my own ideas of good and evil, right and wrong, these things we've been talking about today, when we get this, when we get God's authority, that God reigns, Jesus Christ is the Lord. And that's where He's going, even at the beginning of the next uh, passage, the next week. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus who is King. That's what that word means. King King Jesus. Okay? So, uh, you know, I think one of the things for me, to you guys, has been watching my kids, and uh, Emily's out of town, Matthew's at Baylor, so watching my kids get this has been fascinating to me. Watch them learn how to respond to God and work through as they, especially, uh, I know we've got a lot of young families and stuff, when your kids get to be middle school, seventh grade, just the ability to just kind of talk things through really changes. You know, it just goes to a whole other level, doesn't it, older parents? It just goes to a whole other level. And you're watching them kind of learn how to respond to God and what God's saying, what He wants happening in their lives. There's times on this authority thing, you know, for me, there's times to lead because I've got a responsibility to lead. There's other times, even in the same context of Christ's fellowship, there's times for me to follow. You know, uh, same thing in my family. There's times for me to lead. There's times for me where Kim has the word, you know, and it's like, you are right. And, and that's cool. That's cool. You, and so, uh, you know, it, uh, in the church, like, uh, I've been in life groups where I wasn't leading, and I wasn't trying to lead there. I wasn't trying to... That, that leader was leading. A great season with Chris sitting back there. You know, it was exactly what I needed was for somebody else to be leading in that little window of time. I was kind of hurting, you know. Needed somebody else to kind of lead out. It was good. Good season. So the life that we're talking about here, all these, you know, the slow to listen, the, the response time, and the doing time, it's a life that flows out of the word of truth that's birthed in us. This new creation life that's birthed inside of us. It's the life of Jesus. It's, beca it's us becoming more conformed to the image of, of God. It's us knowing the Father's love more. Um, you know, uh, there's one piece I didn't mention a minute ago about widows and orphans. I, one thing I was going to touch on that is we totally need to love widows and orphans. But one of the things that James is probably hitting on and saying, keeping yourselves being unpolluted, being polluted by the world, is one of the things he's touching on there is this disgust mentality that I was mentioning earlier. Because widows and orphans would have been two of the most undesirables, and, and, and in the common guy's mind, a widow would be dangerous, actually. A, a dangerous person, somebody that needed to keep distance from 
because he could get in trouble with her. Does that make sense? Okay, it's a disgust thing happening. And the same thing is true with orphans, you know, where they're dangerous children as opposed to children that are in a, fam a tight family system. Okay, so that's, that's another piece of what he's trying to overcome here is love with God's love. Love in ways that's born out of the life of God within you and not you making just the, the judgment about that deal. So here's the result. God's birthing something in us. Change from the inside out. And, you know, if you took this passage and left out the word of truth being birthed in us or humbly accepting the word which saves us on the inside, you could easily turn this passage into legalism. And we're not doing that. It's not do this, do that, black and white. It's Jesus' life is being birthed in us and it's changing us from the inside out. And I, I, but I will say this. This passage is one of those passages that force us to deal with awkward places in life. Awkward places. Things that are hard to talk about. Places that are hard to go there, like marriage. And ask, are we being insensitive in the way that we're responding in our marriage? Am I being humble in the way I'm responding to her? Or am I being demanding, controlling, manipulative, trying to, you know, the whole deal's about getting her to do what I want her to do. That's a that's a great application of this message. What's being birthed in me? How am I responding? And when she says something, am I, you know, coming like this or am I coming, you know, with, with humility and trying to walk this thing out in a way that honors God? Everybody tracking on that? That's pretty practical. Uh, am I quick to listen? Slow to, be, to speak? Slow to be angry? I have a tight rein on my tongue. And... Uh, and when, I, when it's time to obey and I know what to do, why don't I do it if I'm not doing it? I, I know somebody that worked for 35 years for the same company. And he was an engineer and he was given repeated, he didn't have a college education, he was given repeated opportunities to, just down through the years to do college and to make more money or whatever. But he did not want to do that because of fear. That was, the, that was the reason. It wasn't because he didn't want to do it. He didn't do it because of fear. And, you know, and so, you know, did he, uh, did, as I was thinking about that, I just thought, is there stuff that God might be leading us to do that we're not doing because of fear? You know, afraid of something, afraid of missing out, afraid of failure, all those different kinds of things. And uh, is there something that we're supposed to do, even coming out of today? I know this is probably one of those messages where, you know, the Lord could be speaking to us about something specific that's going on that nobody else knows about. And I just want to say up front, I haven't been looking at anybody's email or don't know what's going on in your personal lives. But the Holy Spirit has a way of just bringing up things that we need to be uh, thinking about in our in our personal lives. Be humble with this person. That could be something just for anybody in this room. Be humble with this person. Love this person. Come under this person. Show them that you care about it. And as you do that as a humble response to the goodness of God and His leading in our lives, what you'll find is that more of His life will begin to burgeon in your own life. It's, it's good news, man. I mean, it really, really uh, is good news. So uh, let's stand up. Let's just respond to the Lord. We'll take a few minutes here.
and uh,